in a world that uh, clings to some semblance of sanity, it's very good to someone who's quite sane indeed, someone who thinks about the world we live in, the beauty of its environment, and the dangers to it by that creature known as man. Uh, Captain Jacques-Yves Cousteau, you all know, of course, through his marvelous series of television programs, The Undersea World of Captain Cousteau, as well as his books, and his discoveries of, of life and the possibilities outside the sphere we, men and women, live in. And he's my guest this morning, and uh, a charming man, as well as a very exciting oceanographer and someone who's interested in saving our world, the environment, as well as the sanity that still remains in it. So his thoughts, his reflections this morning while he's in Chicago after this message. The whale is a split in our consciousness. On the one hand, viewed as product, as resource, as an article, an object to be carved up to satisfy the economic imperative. On the other, a view almost lost now as the great leviathan, the guardian of the sea's unutterable mysteries. Ever since we discovered the awesome abilities of our hands to fashion the world to our making, we have dishonored the unknown. Instead of inspiring us, it merely seems an inconvenience. Yet in that time when human beings lived a less exploitative life, the earth still held her secrets, and we revered those creatures who could reveal them. Now we find ourselves at the threshold of approaching the sea as we did the land, creating boundaries, carving up territories, dividing, in the name of nations, the waters that still flow in our veins and link each living thing to every other. One of the points of this book is that, in so doing, we are furthering the annihilation of our spirit. As Joan McIntyre, young anthropologist, uh, Captain Cousteau, in hearing her, I suppose many thoughts come to your mind. I'd like to know that woman. I think she's great. Where is she? Oh, Joan McIntyre. Yeah. I don't know. Someone on the West Coast, I think. On the West Coast. Doing some more work uh, with whales and with uh, with porpoises and with with other animals of the sea. So we come to you. Do you, do you know at what, at what university she's working? I don't know. I'll find out, though. Yes, please But do. What, are you, what are your thoughts because on hearing? Because I think uh, all, all the people that have such sensitivity to, to nature and to life should uh, meet and unite and and uh, joined forces to spread the word, and, and uh, I, I'd like to join forces with that woman. What hope is there, Captain Cousteau? Here are you discovering the possibilities <coughs> in the sea, under the sea. So much part of the world is water, ocean, seas. And yet, what is, quote-unquote, civilized man doing to it? You know... <laughs> Human beings are strange creatures. Of course, every time they appear somewhere, it's with a weapon, a gun, etc., and they destroy everything they can. They shoot at everything that moves. And they cut all the trees and, 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 and devastate the land. True. At the same time, 
they are developing constructive weapons, they are inventing agriculture, they are inventing aquaculture, they are uh, putting together uh, all the knowledge and the understanding necessary to correct their own mistakes. So it's a very difficult problem to understand where we're going to because we have in front of us, on the shelf, available, the worst and the best, the destruction and the construction, the protection and the uh, evil. It's uh, amazing to think that the fate of the world is in the hands of a few, a bunch of, let me say so, I'm maybe exaggerating, but overall I think I'm right, elected, irresponsible, ignorant, incompetent people. That's <coughs> uh, the, I think, uh, with few exceptions, the world is governed by people who understand nothing to the real problems. So that's the big danger, because if, uh, if all the resources of mankind were used, I think we could come out of the hole very well. Very well. Could we continue in this vein, Captain Cousteau? You're talking about the last third of the 20th century, the discoveries, the possibilities, the technology, and what you, sir, as an oceanographer, up above and down below have discovered. And yet in the middle of this, we have, as you say, political figures in all societies all who society. are basically involved with something called power <coughs> and nothing to do with possibilities of man. Nothing, and they don't even know what's going on. Uh, they also, there is an, a built-in incapacity for elected representatives to think further than their mandate, which means that everything is planned short-term in a world that needs badly long-term planning. So uh, I'm just putting the finger on, on, on the uh, desperate side of the problem. There are other sides, of course. Other sides are that the public opinion is slowly awakening, that they are putting more and more pressure, that uh, sooner or later, and I think sooner than people think, this public opinion will be so strong that it's going to command a revolution of the mind, a revolution of the mind. And then, of course, whatever the lobbies, whatever the pressure of economic interests, the truth will come out. Captain, do you feel, this is a good question to ask you now because in the time of so much bewilderment and a good deal of pessimism too, you feel there is more and more awareness on the part of quote-unquote ordinary people than political or powerful figures think there is? Oh, a, a lot more, a lot more. The, uh, <coughs> you see, <coughs> the, the picture was the following. Uh, for... Uh, the two, two past centuries, people have been totally unaware that there was an ecological problem, totally unaware. Uh, it was understood that the sea was a vast expanse, a body of water so big that uh, you could throw anything in it, it wouldn't matter. Uh, people thought that um, uh, the uh, resources of the earth were infinite. People thought that uh, the development of progress, of uh, material progress, of uh, owning more things, 
of uh, having higher salary, of working less, of having uh, earlier retirements, etc. That was the utmost of civilization. Uh, proliferation of the human race came to uh, uncontrolled heights because on one side we were introducing medical care, protection, and on the other side we were not doing anything to prevent excess rate of birth. So uh, the world has suddenly found itself in a bad state. Five years ago, six years ago, in this country first, and then in Europe and Japan, uh, people began to understand. Some writers have written excellent books about the problem. And there was an ecology movement created. Well, this movement, this environmental protection movement, was very successful in America. Uh, it ended up with the creation of environmental protection agencies, with the Clean Air Act, the Clean Water Act, with things that were considered as a nuisance by the big industry, but uh, was uh, going along with the desire of, the, of those people that were awakening to ecological problems. Then came the energy crisis under the Nixon administration. And to my dismay, I remember the few days after the energy crisis imposed by the Arab countries after the uh, Israeli war, uh, price of the oil went for falls, there was an embargo, etc. The energy crisis was there. And instead of promoting conservation measures, drastic reappraisal of the renewable sources of energy, etc. The Nixon administration and the other administrations of the world, uh, uh, the only measures that they really took was to cancel or to curtail uh, most of the environmental protection measures. And they thought that the opportunity was good to get rid, to get all these environmentalists off their back. And they thought it was finished. And uh, I have heard many, uh, many industry leaders say, ah, well, thank God, uh, because of the energy crisis now, we're, we're free from this uh, boresome environmentalists. Mm -hmm. Not so. Huh? They are now finding out that this is not the case, that the environmental movement has never been stronger, that instead of being 10 or 15 percent, we are now 32 to 35 percent of the population that tomorrow will be 55 or 60 percent. We are now a strong minority, tomorrow we will be a majority of people who want to put the environmental issues mm. number one on the issues on the list mm. of issues. Yeah. And this movement, this tide wave that is now happening, reluctantly the government is trying to, not only the government of this country, the government of all countries, are trying to uh, Minimize yeah. uh, the, right. the importance of it. Yeah. Nevertheless, when it comes to being elected, that's a different story. Yeah. And uh, people couldn't care less about the environment. Uh, politicians mm -hmm. are beginning to put the environmental issue in their program because yeah. they, they cannot avoid it. May I raise one question, yeah, sure. Captain Cousteau? With working people, blue-collar people, those who work in plants that mm. pollute the atmosphere and the seas and the air, industry works in such a way that they divide 
You know this. Many working people say we're against the environmentalists because if they succeed, it'll put us out of work. Yes. You're aware of that <coughs> argument, of course. Well, uh, I, I'm aware of that, but yes. um, let's, let's uh, look at it seriously. That is the argument that the power lobbies are putting forward. And it is determined lie because Environmental Protection Agency has proven that the environmental protection is creating jobs and is creating also new industry. So it is absolutely wrong to say that protection of the environment is suppressing jobs, one. Number two, uh, one of the big issues now is energy, as you know. And the world has made the most formidable mistake that was ever made, which is to go nuclear. Uh, this is compromising the future of future generations. And the only reason why it's done by the power companies, by the power lobbies, by the governments, is to say, we need power, we need electricity to develop the country. So if we did not go nuclear, it means that you would lose your job. Now, imagine the amount of lie that this represents. Uh, <coughs> the, um, uh, in order to create one job in the nuclear energy, you need at least $250,000 investment. This is six or seven times more than in any other industry in the world. Uh, so the amount of investment, you know, the, the, the amount of money available for investment is not infinite. If you put all your money in this nuclear energy system, you are going to create an elitist community of few people very well paid and millions out of jobs. This is the truth. The nuclear energy is creating joblessness, is creating uh, armies of people who will it's not. It's like making the bomb. Exactly. Same thing. And strangely enough, some unions are beginning to understand this. I the can Oil cite, Workers Union in, in yes, Colorado. I can cite also the United Auto Workers, which have a very remarkable sense of responsibility and understanding. And uh, they are actually understanding, for example, <coughs> that contrary to what Governor Reagan was saying in his campaign, uh, he was saying, we need to make big cars because big cars give more jobs. It is not true. It's about the same number of jobs of working hours for a small car than for a big car. But it's using less material and less energy. And less and, profit. Of course. And it's, it's not at all reducing the number of jobs to make smaller, more economical cars. So uh, the, uh, the, uh, the people in the street have been fed until now with monumental lies. And one of the jobs of the Cousteau Society is to not to go against, we're against nobody. We are apolitical. But we want the truth to come to the people. We want the real facts to come to the people. For example, nobody is telling to the people that centralized power plants, whether they're nuclear or not, uh, before you get one kilowatt in your home, you have to produce three kilowatts in the plant because two of the three kilowatts are lost in distribution. And uh, yeah, th this is the most wasteful system of distributing energy that there is. That if you want uh, hot water in your shower, it's better to have gas than to have electricity. 
if you want to uh, warm your, your home, it's much better to have any kind of fuel than electricity. And uh, uh, so the, the central distribution of electricity is the most monumental waste of energy there is. And then there's the sun too, isn't there? Yes, but yeah. even, even um, without the yeah. sun, that's okay. another story, okay. because okay. They, they tell you, oh, the sun, the sun, uh, it's uh, 50 years away. Not true, it's 20 years away, yeah. but not 50 years away. But uh, the, um, the, the problem is that if you had today a more uh, evenly distributed production of electricity, you would save a tremendous amount of energy in the distribution system. You would create a lot more jobs. But the reason why the power companies are against this is that they could not control the paychecks as they do now. So you see, the, uh, the decision-making today is not made in the interest of the people. It's made in the interest of some big companies or some lobbies. And uh, this is not uh, typically American. It's all around the world. And I must say, even in communist countries, because the communist countries are obliged to imitate the capitalistic countries in everything they do. So Captain Cousteau, you, see you saying this, I think, has <coughs> tremendous impact because you are there. You are there. And they have an old CBS, you are there under the oceans and above, too. And you've seen the possibilities, haven't you? At the very beginning of this program, I'll ask you about the Cousteau Society in a moment and how people can become yes. part of that. In the beginning, you heard the voice of this young woman anthropologist, yes. and she spoke of the whale. I'm thinking about man. Who better than you or can talk about man and his... The, as you say, man is fantastic yes. in his discoveries. Yes. At the same time, there's Auschwitz, Hiroshima, yeah, exactly. and Vietnam. You exactly. know. It, he can do two things. Yes. And yet there are possibilities down below that you have discovered that are incredible, aren't they? Yes. For resources and for knowledge. Yes. Uh, uh, but you know... I am uh, more and more, uh, also I'm still exploring uh, the ocean because I believe that the water system is, is essential to life and uh, protection of the water system is essential. So I, I carry on, I spend more than one third of my life uh, diving and exploring and traveling on the sea and uh, making research. But um, more and more I understand that the real fight has to come um, not only in the exploring field or on the, on the science laboratory. It has to go uh, in talking to the public and explaining the problems to the public because they badly need. Now, I, I want to tell you something. Something that is completely forgotten. There is a drift between the scientists and the people in the street. They don't speak the same language. Uh, a taxi driver cannot read a report by a scientist. He couldn't understand a word of it. Bon. Nevertheless, let's analyze that. Who's paying the scientists? The taxpayers. So they own science, the taxpayers, and they don't realize it. So the essential thing for, for the scientists, I mean, the minimum that you can ask the scientists is to report to their owners to report to the taxpayers in their plain language what they have been doing. And that is a missing link that we also try to contribute to dissipate. We want to be interpreters between the scientific community that is drifting apart in their jargon 
and their uh, elaborate esoteric world, and the uh, man in the street that is in direct contact with everyday life, but who own science, and they have to be reported to. So uh, this is one of the uh, of the activities that I consider. So, what is done in the ocean, the discoveries that prove the link between the Idaho potato grower and and the sea, uh, we have to explain. We have to constantly bring to the people, which means that two thirds of my activities now have to be devoted to that. That's why we organize involvement days throughout the country. We will cover the United well, States. Speak of involvement day, I'll ask you about that in a minute. The one thing, this one point you just made is so important that we can't uh, overemphasize yeah. it. The ordinary person, so-called, the mm -hmm. taxi driver, the working man, all yes. the bank teller, whoever, as against the man of specialized right. knowledge. And so the man of specialized knowledge says, look, you take my word. Mm -hmm. He could work for a big utility company or for the Pentagon. Take my word. And the man down below says, this guy's an expert. He must know more than I. Ah, uh, you are saying something yes. else. I'm saying something else yes. because... <coughs> there are uh, uh, there, there, is, there was a wonderful article in the New York Times uh, some time ago by a uh, Nobel Prize. Uh, I don't remember his name, unfortunately now, but uh, I, I will quote him uh, approximately. He was saying he was entering the nuclear deba debate, saying, "Of course, the man in the street want cannot judge and want expert advice." He turns to the experts, to the scientists, but. Expert advice can be in two categories. It can be an advocate advice or a judge's advice. So this man is saying anybody, any scientist, any technician that has anything to do, any interest in working for a power company, for the federal government, for uh, the uh, EPA, or I don't know what, well, not EPA, but the, um, what is a regulatory agency mm. of uh, energy, uh, regulatory agency, uh, ERDA. ERDA. Uh, any of these scientists is disqualified. So uh, it was very interesting in, in the fight in California for Proposition 15. Perhaps you should mention yeah. that to yeah. Illinoisans. Right. The, uh, in California, for the first time, people were confronted with the nuclear issue in a rather fuzzy way. There was Proposition 15 that was maybe not very well worded. Uh, people did not understand it very well. But nevertheless, they understood that it was for or against nuclear developments, uh, more or less. In fact, it was not that, but it was uh, what they believed. Power companies poured millions of dollars in their campaign. And uh, the Proposition 15 had only many small contributions which amounted to maybe one third of money on the other side. And unfortunately, uh, with money, you can influence people. Nevertheless, in this campaign for or against nuclear energy in California, uh, the um, uh, issues where uh, both sides were showing lists of uh, eminent scientists and Nobel Prizes. One list was for nuclear energy, the other list was against nuclear energy. Uh, took me some time, but with France, I did the following work. On the list of those scientists that were for nuclear energy, 
I made a cross in front of all those who were members of a board or appointed mm -hmm. by a company, etc. And the list shrank down to a much smaller number of people than those that were against nuclear energy, yeah. totally independent. Yeah. So uh, that is one thing that the people must understand. The only advices that they should trust are those who have no personal yeah. interest in the matter. It's the essence of judgment. You cannot be at the same time an advocate and a judge. Yeah. Incidentally, on that vote, even though the opponents of the proliferation of nuclear energy plants lost, it was still a victory in oh, a way. Oh, 32 please. to 35 percent. Yeah. It's a major victory. So now they're aware. Sure. Those 30 percent are now it, aware and others are becoming it's aware. It's a formidable it's victory. Making. Yes. Huh? Uh, five years ago, I'm sure. In spite I'm of the full sure, page ads and everything. I'm sure yeah. that five years ago we would not have had That's 10 percent. So you do see. Oh yes. You do see this. See, we're, we're talking. The tide wave and uh, yeah. and uh, the power the power companies that have misinvested and that at the bottom of their heart they're sorry about it, but the, the, you know it's same as Concorde in France. We made the mistake to invest in Concorde. Yeah. But the more time went, the more irreversible the situation was, and we had to carry on yeah. paying for Concorde. Yes. Yes. Also. In the bottom of our heart, we knew we were wrong. But you do see, don't you, Captain Cousteau, this way, you do see more and more awareness on the part oh, of yes. the general public. Yes, as that's to the only hope I have. Dangerous. You see, perhaps, let's take a slight pause for a moment and we'll come back with Captain Jacques-Yves Cousteau, who, uh, who better than he knows about the possibilities in, on this earth, underwaters and up above, and what we can and cannot do, what we can do to preserve the, uh, the nature and its possibilities, even more so, or to destroy it. We'll return in a moment and ask about the Cousteau Society, as well as Involvement Day, and more of his own thoughts, over and beyond, and over and above the waters, too, in a moment after this message. So resuming the conversation with Captain Jacques-Yves Cousteau, you're saying, you're in Chicago for a couple of years, you travel, people know of you. By the way, I'm so happy to know that here there's a, an eight-year-old boy listening to you. This is what you're talking about. Yes. And earlier on the station was a, 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 a noted television actor. I noticed several young children around, didn't know this actor, but they knew of Jacques-Yves Cousteau. So that in itself, to me, is a sign of something that's going on, mm -hmm. you know, through your television program, but also through your work. You know, television program, okay, but uh, uh, the, um, if you wish, the trust that the people bless me with is disproportionate with the ratings of my shows. The reason for this is that uh, I think that in my shows, what was obvious all the time is the credibility of what I was saying and the sincerity of what we were saying. We were people who were actually living the adventures that we were describing. We were not inventing them. We were not uh, f making them more palatable for show business. We were just telling the truth. We have done this, and that's, that's how it was done. And we saw this, and that's how it happens in the sea. And people now believe that we are sincere. When I say we, it's not myself only, it's all my team. I have uh, ingrained in the heart of all my people a basic sincerity. We would never say anything that we are not convinced of, that we have not checked and counter-checked. 
So, uh, and we make this judgment in total independence. We have received no money from anybody except from the small contributions of the men in the street. So this makes us totally independent. And I think that is precisely why the children, the uh, uh, housewives, the uh, red caps, the blue collar workers uh, trust what we are saying and believe it and follow it. By the way, uh, just to extend what you just said, y you are aware that I know in many communities, Pennsylvania, wherever mm -hmm. nuclear reactor plants are, there are groups being organized to fight the extension of these. Sure. And many are headed by non-specialists, housewives, yes. so-called ordinary people, young people. Yes. So this awareness and how yes. quick, do you sense how quick they are to catch on? Oh yes, To what Very it's all quick. about. Yeah. Very quick. And you know <coughs> something also, the role of women. Um, unfortunately, I must say that men do not have the same basic concern for the future generations as women have. There is a built-in sense of continuance in women, which I admire, because when I observe life, wildlife, I can see that overall the, the um, fight for survival of the species is generally better, deep, deeper ingrained in the, in the animals as the uh, protection of their own life. Uh, everything is organized in the world to ensure the survival of the species. And in our own species, the human species, is not, it's not quite true today except for the women. Uh, I find in the women the same concern as I find in the superior animals for the continuance of their species. It must be you mean the whales and the dolphins. Yes, mm. and uh, even uh, some of the, of the mammals on land. But um, the men often, you see, I, I'm going to say something very, very tragic and maybe I will hurt some feelings. But uh, I've seen it so often. And there was a play written in France on that subject which moved me very much. Uh, <coughs> suppose a family where uh, a son is, has been killed in Vietnam, for example. In France, it could have been in Vietnam also. Yeah, Vietnam or Algiers, yeah, of course. Yeah, Vietnam too, that's right. So, the man, the parents, are shocked by the news. After a while, the man, the father, has the portrait of his last son in his office as a promotion item. You see my son, he was killed in Vietnam. He's proud of it. The, the mother goes to the cemetery and weeps. That makes the entire difference. I think it's, it's typical of, of what's going on. Uh, fathers want, their, want to be proud of their son or their, of their daughters in an egoistic way. The mothers care for them in an altruistic way. And, and, and that is really why the only hope for the survival of mankind today I place in the women of this world. Or if the men can overcome this feeling, which obviously that what you're of machismo. Yes. Machismo, this yeah. 
tough yes, sure. being number one winning. Right. And But women, by the way, have been the most active, haven't they, in the movements, whether it be environmental oh, yes. protection movements sure. or peace. For that, or peace. For that reason that you, I am You see them both related, do you not? The peace movement and the environmental movement are related, are they not? Yes. <coughs> yes. S often. Uh, however, however, I have never been involved in the peace movement because I have not time, and accordingly, I cannot judge their sincerity completely. They are accused often of being uh, influenced by foreign, uh, you know. Always. Always. But uh, I don't think that this can be said for environmental movements. I think uh, we are pure on that. Uh, so, uh, yes, they coincide. I, I'm not sure that they have the same motivations. I don't, I don't know. I just don't know. Well, if the motivation is to yeah. <laughs> protect the human species in the <coughs> world and uh, a matter of our sanity, I suppose there is a yes. similar. But back to what y you're doing, uh, Captain Cousteau, and it's overwhelming. People you're reaching and your, what I feel, very enlightened point of view, the Cousteau Society. Yes. Uh, are there people interested here? Perhaps they'd like to join it. What is the Cousteau Society? Well, I created the Cousteau Society in 1974. It's a new society. Why? because I was so concerned personally with what my findings in the ocean and the water system in general, the lakes, the rivers, everything. I was so concerned also when I tried to go to the roots of, to the causes of these destructions, to find what the causes were, that together with my son and with my friends, we decided from 74 on to put all our resources, all our personal belongings into that society. That's what we did. So um, uh, anything we are doing since January 1974 is society. Films, books, everything, all belongs to the society. Now, we began a membership drive and we are amazed to find out that we became quickly the fastest growing nonprofit organization in America. In less than two years, we gathered 162,000 members and we're still growing strong. Now, the, um, the society is, uh, aims at uh, mainly at communicating with the people, with the citizen, the ordinary citizen, the facts of life and to, um, uh, make them aware of uh, the inaccuracies of information uh, given to them by lobbies mainly, and also uh, of the real dangers that are coming and that have not yet been denounced. Uh, in order to have accurate information to disseminate, we had to organize two different services, an evaluation center to evaluate the truth and a research center to carry on that kind of type of research that nobody else would fund because the results may be uh, disagreeable for some interests. So we have created this and it works already pretty well. We have uh, the first year been able to allocate $250,000 to pure research. Last year, $827,000. 
And uh, on top of that, we are producing educational material, films, books, etc. Uh, and we are serving to the members uh, a log, keeping them aware of what we are doing, special reports. Uh, and we are starting this winter with the production of pocketbooks on important subjects that we will send free to our members. The, um, this uh, monumental activity uh, developed quickly, very well, with the support of the people. And uh, very quickly I said, this is not enough. Uh, uh, we have to go to the people, not only inform them in writing. We have to meet with them everywhere because they cannot come to us. That's why I organized the series of involvement days, which what are big, uh, big celebrations mm. of the environment and information days, and uh, also entertainment days, uh, entirely aimed at the environment, the liquid environment, but the liquid environment means the environment. So uh, the first involvement day was in Florida, the second one in March this year, the second one in California in May, the third one will be Saturday in, uh, in uh, Milwaukee uh, the, about the Great Lakes. Uh, Does Involvement Day then involve environment in, in the area where the day is occurring? Right. We, it could be, say, the Great Lakes yes. are in Wisconsin right. or Florida, uh, some other, some water right. around there. Is that it? Right. Now, what is Involvement Day uh, concern? How do people become involved in Involvement okay. Day? So we prepare the Involvement Day together, not alone, but together with all the environmental groups of the area. Uh, we prepare with them recommendations, a list of recommendations on all the problems of the area. Because we at the Coastal Society, we have no real knowledge of the local problems. So the local environmental organization contribute beautifully with us, cooperate with us to organize these recommendations according to oh, uh, their uh, uh, specific knowledge. When we have done that, we organize the day in which, let's say, <coughs> here in, uh, in Milwaukee. From uh, 9.30 to uh, 12, there will be three keynote speakers of quality. Uh, one will be from uh, the United Auto Workers, explaining the concern of, of workers for the environment. The second one will be Dick Gregory, speaking for, for minorities. Uh -huh. uh, the third one will be Stuart Udall, uh, former secretary of uh, Interior. And, uh, uh, that's for the morning. After from uh, 12 to 4, we have 10, what we call workshops, it's not a good word, uh, 10 uh, rooms in which people can come and ask specialists questions and discuss with them on the subject they're interested. For example, we have one room for water quality, one for air quality, uh, one for uh, uh, the Great Lakes uh, and its influence on the sea, uh, another one on uh, uh, fishing, another one on navigation security, another one, etc. So when people are interested in one of those subjects, we have one on mammals, um, then they discuss with scientists in plain language. The thing is that we are also telling the people, look, you have developed a certain skepticism about a certain passivity 
about what a normal citizen can do. Uh, how you think? Uh, what can we do against uh, federal powers and the bigger uh, companies. companies and uh, etc.? Well, forget it. You can, provided that you unite, that you understand where the problems are, that you have arguments to discuss with your neighbors, that you can, uh, etc. You become a constituency. In order to become a constituency, we, we give them a number of advices, how to do it, what they should do. And people come out of our inf uh, involvement days, we have the experience already, uh, with a new enthusiasm and a new understanding of, uh, and a new dignity. They become part of the community where they thought they were just Captain an object. Captain you, you are touching up. Perhaps if there's one single challenge to be faced as this one, the ordinary person feels impotent, yes, powerless, what exactly. can I do? And you're saying through your society and other such groups, yes. the communities are forming, and these are the non-specialists, the right. non-experts, right. we suddenly have a sense of power. Exactly. I mean, and by the way, that there have been accomplishments, have there not? Some, some of the nuclear reactor oh, plants sure. have been stopped in sure. Pennsylvania, I know, yes. and other places. Many, uh, yeah. many achievements have been made by communities. And you know, uh, the, uh, this, this community can, have, can become so important, and is become so important, that already there is not one single political candidate that can afford yeah. not to put on its own list of priorities some important to environmental issue, problem. Yeah. Huh? So it shows the, uh, how, how far we have been in a few years. It's very encouraging. Huh? And uh, I, think, I think we're going somewhere. I do, I do believe. And very soon we're going to other countries because the U.S. is fine, but uh, it has to be a world movement uh, originating in the U.S. but spreading around. By the way, a moment ago, or maybe it was 30 minutes ago, I mentioned the sun. You know, uh, this is often put down, solar energy mm -hmm. put down by those in favor of nuclear energy. They say, oh, years and years, centuries from not ready. You were saying something about solar energy, mm -hmm. the possibility within 20 years. 15 to 20 years. Mm -hmm. Now, something is, do is feasible right now. Huh? It's to save, let's say, 25 or 30 percent of the industry consumed in the homes by insulating the homes. Now, uh, the only way to do that today, insulating the homes and even putting some solar uh, addition to the, to the homes, uh, the only way to do this would be for the federal government to give tax rebates to those who do these improvements, or even to participate, let's say, for 50% uh, to the cost of, of doing this. Because in the final analysis, the federal government would benefit from that as well as the individual. So it would be fair to share the expense. saving of energy. Yes. Uh, so it would be fair to share the expense. So th that's one of the things that could be done. Uh, another thing is that solar energy is co naturally concentrated in the sea. Uh, in the sea. The sea is the most powerful natural concentrator of solar energy there is. How, how is that, Captain? Well, because um, the sun is uh, imparting its energy on the surface of the earth uh, according to the latitude. Well, <coughs> if we wanted, for example, to get some 
electricity from uh, voltaic converters in uh, uh, Nevada or in uh, Phoenix or in, uh, in the desert in America or elsewhere. We would need tremendous surfaces. Well, the sea offers these surfaces and the currents bring the warmed up water to bottlenecks like the Florida Strait, where it is easy to use these concentrated uh, solar energy by what we call OTEC, or Ocean Terminal Energy Converters, uh, which are big plants of the same power as the nuclear plant. Uh, this system, using the difference of temperature between surface water of the ocean and the, and the deep water, which is cool, uh, have been tested and successfully tested since 1929. So it's not utopia. It's something that is on the shelf, just to decide to do. The investment is about the same as for nuclear energy. So in one case, you make this huge investment for nuclear energy knowing that in 30 years there will be no uranium left. So it's just a, a, a hopeless case that it is endangering the future generations. It's a non-renewable energy, and it's endangering the future generations, where totally renewable energy from the sea costs about the same, will not pollute anything, will not endanger the future generations, and will work forever. And the bad choice has been made probably under military influence. I can see no other reason. When, uh, and the proof has been done in India. When India went nuclear, a few months after, a nuclear bomb exploded. Now, Pakistan is, as is buying nuclear plants from France. Why? Because they want the bomb, not because they want energy. They could have cheaper ways to get energy. So you see the military influence in, oh, in all societies. It's the only reason. It's the only reason for the spreading of nuclear energy is the military influence. And it does no not law. create more jobs, as you point out. It creates far less, yeah. far fewer jobs yeah, yeah. than any other yeah. kind of energy. Yeah. As we're talking, uh, Captain Cousteau, you talk of the sun and the sea and the land on which we live. And perhaps, you know, I know there's so much you have to say. An hour goes by quickly with you, but this is a very provocative and by the an exciting one, but also an optimistic one. Yes. Because you, you see more and more knowledge, oh, yes. more and more awareness on the part of... Yes, I do. ...the great many people. Yes. And I'm thinking about... The very opening, you know, since we think of you and people have seen you in oceanography and below, all the resources below in the ocean, and yet the danger that the waters might go dead. Yes. Well, of course, it won't because we are going to stop it. But <laughs> no, if we didn't, I mean, if we there didn't. is a danger that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, there is a danger. But, but you see, uh, in order to, knowing that there is something urgent to do to save this water system and the oceans in general, and the resources that they represent, mainly energy, by the way, and minerals. Uh, in order to save this, uh, these resources, I had a choice. And there are only two ways, lobbying at the government level or raising public opinion. I am convinced that lobbying at the government level is a dead end, that it may bring about a few successes and many failures. 
and that the only way in a democratic system to work is at the base, at the level of the citizen who are finally the, uh, the people that are conc concerned with their own lives. I'll tell you something very interesting. Uh, three years ago, I made a lecture, a series of lectures for NASA about uh, life in the future. And I came to the conclusion that one of the solutions to make sure that the marvelous discoveries of technology and science would not be misused would be to create a Supreme Court of science and technology. In the paper two or three years ago, I saw that the new, newly appointed science advisor of President Ford, because you know, Nixon had suppressed the science advisor. Now, President Ford has uh, <coughs> reappointed a scientist at the White House. Well, this newly appointed has not ruled out the possibility of trying a Supreme Court of Science and Technology. Finally, uh, so I, I had advocated this, and I changed my mind. The Supreme Court of Science and Technology exists. It is the people. It has no use of putting a few people in this, that responsibility. Let's go to the people and have their final judgment, because they are the ones that are concerned in the final analysis. So the Supreme Court of Science and Technology is the bunch of citizens of every nation, provided that they are informed and that they are aware that they own science because they are the ones who pay for it. So it comes to that. Provided they are aware and the knowledge is it's theirs. Brought forth, this, and it's a question of offering that. And the Cousteau Society, I suppose, how can somebody join the Cousteau Society? Oh, it's very simple. We have uh, our central office in New York. It's a very easy address to remember. 777 3rd Avenue <laughs> okay. in New York City. And uh, by the way, I think <laughs> one, one of the requisites is simply being human and breathing. That's the requisite. Being human, breathing, and <laughs> exactly. thinking. There's no other requisite no, needed. No, no, 777 Third Avenue. Third Avenue. New York City. Remember that, so those who want to. And uh, literature forthcomes. Yes. And um, uh, we do not accept corporate membership. Oh, oh individuals only. Only. No corporate membership. Uh, and we do not accept government grants of any government. That's great. Listen, <laughs> one, perhaps before we say goodbye now, Captain, because I hope you come again, there's so much more to ask you. Any thoughts, any base you haven't touched you feel like touching now? Anything you haven't said you feel like saying now before we, before we say goodbye for, for now? In fact, uh, the thing that obsesses me is um, the miracle of life. Uh, recently, we have learned in the past 20 years that in the solar system, at least, there is life only on Earth. That, that within uh, several light years of distances, we are alone on Earth. That this little piece of rock that the Earth is, but that is turned into a beautiful oasis by the amount of water it has, 
this jewel in the universe, the, this oasis in the sky, is very intricately combined, uh, has needed three and a half billion years to develop its variety, and that it is extremely fragile, as all complicated mechanisms are. So once you, reali you realize that, thanks to space exploration, let's face it, then immediately you become more considerate for life. You understand that life is so rare that it has to be cared for like a precious, rare thing. So the development of love for life, respect for life, is a thing that I would like everybody to share in this new era of uh, space exploration which shows for the first time the Earth as it is, alone in the universe. Uh, it's a water planet. It's a water planet full of beautiful things that we have no right to suppress for the future generations. We have to preserve it for those who will follow us. So the short-term economic interest has no weight when it is faced with these long-term necessities. This is so true that the uh, Gusto Society is considering appointing a panel of international experts to draft a declaration of the rights of the unborn generations. Those who have, we have no right to take options away from their hands as long as they are not yet born and they have no voice to decide. This is really a right to live organization. Exactly. Truly so. Captain. Jacques-Yves Cousteau, thank you very much for your eloquence as well as for that note of hope you sound and mostly for that note of sanity too. Grazie. Thank you very much indeed. <laughs>